So my name's Dave. I get the privilege of leading us in a little time of teaching. Uh, so if you have a Bible, would you grab it and take it and turn it to John chapter 10? If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. We are going to be in the second half of John chapter 10. Last week we were in the first half of John chapter 10. If you are using these uh, Bibles in the seat back in front of you, uh, let me give you a little cheat code. Turn to page 953, 953 for John chapter 10. We are working our way through the gospel of John. John was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus who then became one of the apostles, the sent ones whom Jesus sent into the world with his message. And John is the fourth gospel writer. So there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all kind of wrote around the same time. And then John wrote uh, a couple decades later uh, to to help us know exactly what we are to know about Jesus. And so John lived the longest and felt it was good to give us uh, one final uh, biography. Uh, you know, uh, it's not really just a biography. It's a, it's a picture, a portrait of who Jesus is uh, to help us know exactly what it is we are to believe about Jesus, what he actually did. And so John is unique to the other Gospels, and so we've been saying it's great to read John alongside reading uh, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So if you're new to Jesus or new to the Gospels, as we study through the book of John, I just encourage you to also try reading in, on your own time uh, through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you don't own a Bible, just take that Bible that's in the seat back in front of you. Just take that home with you. We've got a whole closet full of them. So we would love for you to have your own Bible and, and make that your own. So uh, let me pray and we'll ask God to, to open our eyes to this word today. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for each and every person here today. Wherever they are in their conversation with you, God, we just are so thankful that you've brought them into this safe place. This is a place where they can come and consider your claims uh, that you've given to us through your word, that they can consider what these things are that we sing about uh, and what Consider what it is that draws all these people here together on a Sunday morning um, to fellowship and to love on one another. Uh, so wherever we are at, God, would you bring us what we need this morning? Give us the food that we need so that we might grow and be strong, uh, not just body, but mind and soul as well. So we love you, Lord, and thank you for this, for this chance to consider. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, I am going to just read to you the passage, and then I'm going to break down the passage so that we could understand it. So are you ready? John chapter 10, starting in verse 31. Now, as I'm reading it, just know right before this came uh, John reflecting upon this great speech that Jesus gave saying he is the good shepherd. So you can go back and read that or listen to that from last week. I won't dive too much into the Good Shepherd. You'll just hear me, um, because John talks about it again, you'll hear me uh, reference it once or twice, but to really get a full understanding of what Jesus meant when he called himself the Good Shepherd, you'd have to go back and listen uh, to the sermon or watch it from last week. Um, but these two together, John clearly thinks these two teachings that are coming at very different times, or not very different, but this, this is happening several months after uh, what Jesus said in the beginning of John chapter 10, for him, they're so connected that he's put them back to back, even though they're not happening at the same time. So what you're going to hear is it seems like he's just continuing what he talked about last week, but he's not. This is several 
probably two months later, uh, at another festival where he's saying something similar, and John has put them together to help us see there's a constant message that Jesus was giving, okay? So here we go. So verse 31, it says, again, right, new scene. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone Jesus. And Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? So stoning was a uh, a thing that they did in ancient times when someone had broken a, a law, uh, one of the, the worst laws, and, and, and we're going to see that they're saying that Jesus was blaspheming. He was lying about God because he was claiming to be God. So Jesus asked them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? Verse 33. We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, and maybe in your translation it says a mere man, it's the idea, a mere man, make yourself God. Claim to be God. That's why we're picking up stones to stone you to death. So Jesus answers them. Verse 34, isn't it written in your law, now that would also be Jesus' law, he didn't come to overthrow the law, he makes that clear elsewhere, but he's saying, your law, so if you're going to stone me based on your law, then I'm going to quote your law to you. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures. He says, isn't it written in your law, I said you are gods. And here he's talking about Psalm 82, where it very clearly, and we'll read that in a second, clearly uses the word God, lowercase g, to talk about human beings. So, if he called, Jesus continues, verse 35, if he called those whom the word of God came, the word of God came to God, if he called them gods, and the scriptures cannot be broken, which they cannot be, do you still say you are blaspheming? And do you say this to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world? He's talking about himself. Because I said that I am the Son of God? We'll talk about that in a second. He continues, verse 37. If I am not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them, my Father's works, and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. He's doubling down. And they get this. And so verse 39 says, Then they were trying again to seize him, but he eluded their grasp. Like a great running back, he reads the blocks and rushes for 256. Verse 40, So he departed again across the Jordan River to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. Many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John, he's talking about John the Baptist, everything John the Baptist said about this man, Jesus, was true. And many believed him there. Okay. Oh my goodness. I started at the wrong verse. Don't worry, this is all planned. Okay, so <laughs> I picked it up at verse 31. She said, why are they, you just picked it up and they started throwing rocks. Uh, why are they throwing rocks? Now let me read <laughs> verse 22 to 31, which is what I'm going to talk on first. 
This is all part of the plan. Okay. So, why do they pick up rocks to throw at Jesus is what you're asking now if you just walked in. Here's why. Verse 22. Then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem. So in, in the first part of chapter 10, we are at the festival of tabernacles still, which is like the harvest festival in Jerusalem, one of the big three festivals. And they're there, and Jesus says all the other stuff about being the good shepherd. Then they're now at the festival of dedication, which took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews surrounded him and asked, How long will you, are you going to keep us in suspense, they said. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now what's going on here is, it's not that they just want to know. They know what he's been saying, but they're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him to say it clearly and plainly out loud so that when they take him to court, they've got the recording, the confession. Jesus gets this and he answers, not plainly, because he knows what they're trying to do. They're trying to trap him uh, in claiming to be the Messiah, even though he's said it in other ways throughout. So Jesus responds, I did tell you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. The works testify about me. I have testified about myself. I had plainly shown you because the works I do are showing that I am the Messiah. But you don't believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Talked about that last week. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. All powers. He's greater than everything, and no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. That's why they wanted to stone him the first time. Clearly, he's equating himself to God. And God is greater than all, so no one can snatch. So we talked about that last week. What a beautiful picture it is to know that God has always wanted to be the shepherd to his people, which is to be with them, to be near them, to be in relationship with them, and to protect them And this promise that no one is more powerful than God. So when you are with the shepherd, no one can snatch you out of his hand. What a great assurance that is, that if we stay near to God and near to the shepherd, we cannot and will not be snatched away by anything doesn't mean we won't experience hardship. It doesn't mean uh, that life will be easy, but we know we cannot be snatched away. That's the great promise of eternal security to this eternal life that we have. Okay. Now, I'm not going to talk a ton. That's why I accidentally skipped it, but purposely. And um, about this section... It's really 31 to, to, to 39 that I'm going to focus on. But before we do that, we need to set the scene. You need to understand what the festival of dedication is all about. Because John points it out to us. So he could have just flowed along. And, and it wouldn't have been deceptive of him to just say, Jesus said some other things about being the shepherd and the sheep knowing his voice. And I'm going to share. But he purposefully tells you that it's at the festival of dedication. And we have to ask why. Now, one reason is he's moving along the narrative chronologically. And so it's several months later. And he says it's winter. So that's when the festival of dedication was. But there's probably more to it. So what is the festival of dedication? Now, the festival of dedication was remembering when the temple was rededicated after it had been desecrated by the rulers that ruled before the Maccabees. So, 
There was a revolutionary named Judas Maccabeus who rededicated the temple in 165 B.C. So that is approximately, what, 170, oh no, what am I doing? That's, that's approximately 125 years before Jesus is standing there. So it's a relatively new festival that had been initiated um, not long before this is happening. But it's an important it's an important festival. Now, why the rededication of the temple? Before the Maccabean Revolution, what had happened is, um, if, you just, if you like history, you'll like this part. Um, when Alexander the Great built his great Greek empire and took Greek culture all over the world, but then died at the young age of 32, then all the empires that he had conquered got sort of broken off and split up uh, amongst his generals. And so the general who got Assyria and this part of the, the Mediterranean where Palestine and Israel are, uh, that cat, what's his name? Uh, the, uh, the Seleucids is the name of the dynasty. So, the, so his name was Seleucid, and then the, the four consecutive rulers came from his dynastical line. Now the fourth one... Eh, you know, it's always the fourth one. The fourth one really started to put the pressure on the Jews and stopped letting them celebrate their religion and said, you need to, you need to worship Zeus because he was a Greek general. Or these were all out of the line of the, of the Greeks. And so uh, what happened is they actually came into the temple of the Jewish people and on the altar, okay, they actually sacrificed a pig. If you know anything about Jewish culture or Hebrew religion, that's about the worst thing you could do. And he knew it. And he was desecrating the altar. And he was trying to tear down the Jewish religion. He, would make, he made it illegal to circumcise your children. He made it illegal to have a copy of the Hebrew scriptures with you and they burned it. I mean, so you can just imagine this atmosphere. And a, and a group of revolutionaries led by Judas Maccabeus and his sons, kind of like in the American Revolution, started guerrilla warfare, built up sort of an underground army, and actually overflew or overthrew the Syrian Greek Seleucid dynasty and retook Jerusalem, the temple, and Israel for the Hebrew people. That's then, like a year or two after that, they, re, they rebuilt and rededicated the temple, and that is what was celebrated every year. On the, on the 25th of the month that, that aligns with what we call December, but in the Hebrew calendar, they would celebrate the festival of dedication. Remembering when God gave back to his people the worship of the one true God. Okay? So, does anyone know another name for the festival of dedication? It lasts eight crazy nights. It's a festival of lights. It's Hanukkah. This is Hanukkah. So it's at Hanukkah that Jesus is standing in the temple in the Solomon's colonnade so 
in the external courts in a covered area, and he gives these words and has this discussion with these Jewish leaders who are out to get him. Okay, so why is that important? Now, we can't be sure exactly everything that John wants us to. He and God are one. God has come back to rule his people. Okay. So, from that understanding, now we look again at what Jesus says. Okay? So he tells them, um, I've already told you who I am. The works I do testify about me, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep, because perhaps you're not actually a part of the true people of God. Yeah, you're ruling us, but we've had rulers that ruled us that weren't of us before. Hanukkah, you see? You're not of my sheep. My sheep know my voice, and you don't know my voice, because you're not my sheep. My sheep know my voice, and I give them eternal life, he says, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. Greater than all what? All rulers, even those Greeks. Even those Romans who are currently ruling when Jesus says this. Okay, I like that. Some of the Hebrews said. Me and him are one. That's when we get to 31, and it says, Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. And Jesus says, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? Highlight that, underline that sentence. For which of the good works of Jesus are they stoning him? Do they like blind people in their kingdom? Do they like lame people that can't walk? Do they like the poor not being able to eat? What is it that he's doing that makes them so angry? Well, they're taking, he's taking their power. That's what he's doing. And they don't like that. So they say to him, well, we're not stoning you for doing a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a mere man, make yourself God. So they know that if they come at him and say, we are stoning you because you've healed the blind, the people will revolt again and say, how can that be bad? Or if we're stoning you because you're making the lame walk, how can that be bad? Or you're giving bread to the breadless. It's not a good way to keep your power. And so they have to find some charge to come against him. And the charge that they come against him with, and it's the charge that he ends up getting convicted of, falsely convicted of, and hung from the cross, is the same charge, the charge of blasphemy, which is that he, being a mere man, has called himself, made himself, connected himself to be God in the flesh. So that's the first question we need to wrestle with. Is Jesus a mere human? Because mere humans, and I think the Jewish leaders here, the elites, they get this right, a mere human shouldn't get to say or demand or require or ask the things that Jesus asks. 
our world today would say the same thing. Most people would look at the things that Jesus says, demands, requires, and asks of us and say, why would we do that if a mere human asked us? And they would be right. But what if he isn't just a mere human? If he's more than a mere human, then yeah, I guess it would make sense that he says, demands, requires, and asks us of things that we don't want to do. Right? So what we really need to consider is whether or not he's merely human. If he is just merely human, then I think we should forget about everything he said. Because a mere human shouldn't ask us to worship them. A mere human shouldn't ask us to give our life to tell, for telling people that he's not mere human. <laughs> Maybe he really is a lunatic. So one of the things I love about this text here is Paul, or, uh, John gives us a few details. So is he merely human? The first thing I want to say is he's definitely human. We know that. He's not just pretending to be human. So some, sometimes this claim has been made about Jesus. He was just pretending to be human, but he wasn't actually human. No, no, no. The Bible is very clear. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. So he's fully human. What are some of the little clues in this text that help us see that he's fully human? Well, John seems to want to tell us something. So why does John say it was the festival of dedication, which everyone would have known. He's talking about Hanukkah. We wouldn't have had to go through that fun little thing that I went through. They would have known, oh yeah, I know when Hanukkah's happening. It's happening in the winter. But John very inserts here, and it was winter. Why does he do that? And then he goes on to say, and Jesus was walking and teaching in Solomon's colonnade. Okay, well, why would, why would, the, why would Jesus be teaching in Solomon's colonnade? Because it was covered. Because it was winter. Because it was cold. Jesus is fully human. He feels coldness. And like a smart human, he finds warmer places to do his teaching. <laughs> He's just like us. He feels the cold. And I love that <laughs> little insert that John gives us. Jesus, like us all, feels the elements. But then Jesus says, I'm not just human. He very clearly says, I'm also definitely God. Me and the Father are one. And then he'll go on to say, mere humans cannot do the things that I do. Look at what I've done. Could a mere human do that? I do get cold, but I also can heal a man born blind. I'm not merely human, is his response. So, Jesus can say that of himself, but of course if he's a lunatic, he can say whatever he wants. So the question we have to ask is, is he telling the truth? Now, this is what... Um, I want to bring in Psalm 82 here. Jesus doesn't go straight to the third thing I'm going to talk about, which is looking at the works of Jesus. Um, he inserts a, a first response, which is just funny. And I, I want you to, Jesus is funny. 
he's like, you're going to love him. <laughs> okay? Like, he's fun to be around because he says things like he does here in verse 34 to 36. So let's read it again. So, when they say, you're just a mere man, making yourself God, Jesus answers them in this funny way. He says, isn't it written in your law that I, I written in your law, and he quotes Psalm 82, I said, you are God's. If he called those whom the word of God came to God's, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say, how do you say, you are blaspheming? This is like, what a strange response to this claim of being a mere human, when Jesus clearly doesn't think so. Um, so he uses this kind of sarcastic argumentation technique, which is meant to sort of dismiss what they're saying, and he quotes Psalm 82. So I'm going to put Psalm 82 on the board, and I'm going to read it to you. This is Psalm 82. It's a confusing psalm. So let me read it for you. Psalm 82 says, God stands in the divine assembly. He pronounces judgment among the gods, lowercase g. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? So this is God talking to these gods. Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. They do not understand. They wander in darkness, kind of like sheep. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, so this is God talking to whoever else is in this divine assembly. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like humans and fall like any other ruler. Rise up, God. So then the the psalmist sings. Rise up, true God, you could say. Judge the earth. For all the nations belong to you. So, there's debate amongst the scholars who are the lowercase g's in this, you know, is it angelic powers of some sort? Is it rulers of nations? Is it all the, all the uh, tribes of Israel? Is this who it's written to? They are the sons of God. And again and again in the Old Testament, this term, sons of God, is used. And so Jesus picks this one. Uh, he could have picked others. as He quotes it and says, listen, your... Your scripture, which Jesus came to fulfill, your scripture doesn't have a problem using the term son, sons of God or even calling human beings gods. My, my personal opinion is I think he's talking about the other rulers of the nations, and I think it fits the context here because there are good rulers and bad rulers, but then there's the great ruler. And we need the great ruler to tell all the other rulers, hey, actually all nations are mine, and you are just ruling those nations on Lease, basically. So be a good ruler. Don't oppress the poor. Give justice to the needy. Find homes for the fatherless. Yeah, you're gods in the sense of you have power like God, but you are not the God. Okay. But what's funny about what Jesus is doing when he quotes this, whatever else he's trying to allude to, is he's clearly set, he's, he's making a technical argument. We have Amanda Campbell on the drums. She's a lawyer. This is an argument she would agree with. She's like, okay, so you're, you're taking me to court because I used the phrase of myself, the son of God. 
And then, and then Amanda Campbell would, would bring out this text and says, there's precedent in here that says it is not illegal to use the term son of God. You've used it many times. <laughs> Are you going to rip that out of the Bible too? This can't be broken. You've said this is God's word. So if you break that out, you'll be breaking God's word. Case closed. That's, that's, what, he's, that's like what he's doing. And it's kind of funny, but it's also it's a boss move. And I've been on the other side of one of Amanda Campbell's boss moves. And I walked home. It was actually my birthday. <laughs> She's laughing because she knows it's true. I, I literally went home. I said, Allie, I got, taken to the, I got taken out back to the shed. And someone with a better gift than me, yeah, took me, took me to the legal shed and taught me what's true. And I had to rethink my whole childhood. It was a rough... <laughs> It was a rut, like she, yeah, so that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's making a technical argument just to show them how ridiculous it is that the, char- the only charge that they can find is that he used the wrong words. Those are your words, he's saying. So you're going to arrest me on that? that see, see, you, see what he's, you see what he's doing there? Jesus is funny. Amanda's funny. But also, Jesus is right. Now, he's not saying, I'm just the son of God like, because <laughs> he's about to say more, like that, but he just said, you can't, you can't arrest me on that. So it's, it's, he's not saying, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying it like Psalm 82. No, he's saying, no, I am saying what you're saying, I'm just saying you can't arrest me for it. Okay. <laughs> can't arrest me for it, but how much more? Would I be able to say that if I were actually God in the flesh, the Son of God, the Son of God, capital S, capital G? How much more is what he goes on to say. And then he says, verse 37, I am, sorry, if I am not doing my Father's work, then don't believe me. Implied, I am doing my Father's work. But, verse 38, if I am doing my father's works, and you still don't believe me, then he says something so, this is so interesting to me. Believe the works, period. Okay? So I am doing my father's works to prove that I and the father are one, that I am capital S son and capital G God, but if you see my works and you don't recognize them as the Father's, or that's not enough to, to help you believe that I am who I say I am, he says, that's okay, believe the works. What is he saying? It's enough to just believe the works? Maybe temporarily. I think God in his grace realizes what a claim is being made, that God of the universe became flesh and dwelt among us. That is tough to believe. And so he says, if you're not there yet, believe the works. Okay. At this point, I need to take a risk and bring in a sermon illustration that I've been wanting to use for years. But finally, I feel like you guys trust me enough to not judge me if I use this illustration. <laughs> you guys are getting worried. 
I love that. I'm, I'm curious, like, send me a note if you thought it was going to be worse or better than what I'm about to share, because I want to know what's going on in your head. I'm setting it up. Let me get a drink of water. What could he be? What illustration does he need to be trusted? So, I study over at, uh, I do a lot of my sermon prep over at the Seattle Pacific University Library, and I love being over there. Reminds me that I'm a student of the word, too, right? Like, and they've got a great library and great commentaries and resources that I use to study. And the other thing that they have that I don't hear, have here at the office that I appreciate is they have, like, when you go into the bathroom, they, <laughs> they're like, okay, it's a bathroom joke. Okay, now, when you go into the bathroom, they, they still have enough money to afford to provide the toilet guard. So, I, so this is an unused, I brought an unused, <laughs> okay, unused toilet guard. So I want to just, you, you know what I'm talking about? I just want to make sure everybody knows what I'm talking about to get the, you know what I'm talking about? Like you pull it out of the little, you know what I'm saying? Okay. So, so this is a toilet guard, and you'll never forget this sermon now, because I did it. It's unused, and um, for my whole life, like my whole life, you know, and if you know me, everybody knows I have a bad stomach, so I have a unique relationship with with the bathrooms, and I'm always on the lookout for great bathrooms and stuff. It's, it's the thorn in my flesh. Um, so for my whole life, until like a, like a year ago, I, I put the toilet guard on the seat in a particular way. Now, I don't even want you to tell me what's the right way or the wrong way. But my whole life, I thought about the toilet guard one way, that it was supposed to go like this. And a year ago, I said, and I would have lots of problems with it. It would always like fall into the toilet between the setting and the sitting. There's the setting and the sitting. Does it, and it would fall in. And I, it would drive me crazy. I spent a lot of time in there. And it would drive me crazy. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? And so a year ago, I, I don't know why it took me this long. I'm like, I'm going to try. I'm gonna, I've thought one way my whole life about this. I'm going to try thinking about it the other way. And I, I flipped it. And my life changed. <laughs> it never falls into the toilet. It's like I'm not wasting these, because clearly they're expensive because a lot of people stop using them. And all it did, I used to think about it one way, and I started thinking about it the other way. And everything changed which is to say it worked. I don't know what the right way is. Like, I don't know the designer. I don't know what he thought about when he thought about me trying to get it to work. But all I know is I thought about it one way, I flipped it around and thought about it the other way, and lots of other things started working. Believe the works. If, if you don't yet know, I still don't know, so I don't want you to tell me what the right way is. It doesn't, it works. I think I can throw this, I'm going to put this away now. Some of you aren't there yet. You're thinking about Jesus in one way. Try flipping it around and thinking about him this other way. And if it works, go with it. You might still be doubt. I don't know if that's the right way to think about him. It's really hard for me to think that God, 
whatever God is, whoever he is, that he's came into the world as a human, like, that's hard to believe. Just flip it around. If it works, stick with it. See what else starts to work. Jesus says to these Pharisees, do you want all of this human experiment to work the way it's supposed to work? Do you want the blind to see? Do you want the lame to walk? Do you want the hungry to eat? Go to Psalm 82. Do you want justice for the needy? Do you want homes for the fatherless? Do you want rights to be upheld for the oppressed and the destitute? Do you want to take power away from the wicked? It works with Jesus. I don't know, it's so hard to believe these sort of ontological categories, and I wasn't there at the beginning of the universe, I don't know what God was thinking, it's so hard for me. Does it work? What do you want? And Jesus is looking at these Jewish leaders, and he's saying, what, what good work are you stoning for me, me for again? Which one of the things that I'm doing, which one of reversing the brokenness of the world are you upset at? And they have to find this bogus charge. That you use some words you shouldn't use. And Jesus is saying, really? Which kingdom do you want? Because it will help you answer which king should you worship. Jesus didn't come to offer political strife. That's what false sheep do. That's what goats bring to the world. That's what bad leaders bring into the world. Jesus came to end political strife. Jesus came to end politics altogether because he's the king of kings. He's the God of Psalm 82 that rules all other so-called gods. Politics over. That's what Jesus came to do. He didn't need your human throne. He has a divine one. So if you want to end political strife, why don't you try flipping your definition of Jesus? Jesus didn't come to bring religiosity or religious legalism or to beat you over the head with religious rules. He came to bring freedom from the law, freedom from self-righteousness. He came to bring salvation by grace alone, not works. That's what he came to do. Jesus didn't come to bring fear, fear of a political leader, fear of a religious leader, but to bring peace. So which of the good works that Jesus did or is doing or wants to do leads you to reject him? Which of them? Does it bother you that he wants to level the playing field so that there are not the poor and the rich? Does it bother you that he wants to give sight to the blind? Does it bother you that he wants people's bodies to work as they were intended to work? This all made me think, and we actually sang it in that first song, and I, I was like, oh, the Lord is working. 
But there's this book that I mentioned on Easter this year called The Air We Breathe by Glenn Trivener that talks about we live in, in the Western world, we live in uh, sort of uh, the rubble of Christianity. And all the things we love so desperately about our civilization can be traced, if you're honest, back to the invent of Christianity, the beginning of the Jesus movement. And so he makes a claim in that book that we would not have the ideas we have now about freedom or kindness or progress or equality or compassion or science or enlightenment that we have now in the West without Christianity. Like if you go back and you look at the Roman world or the Greek world or even other cultures in the world today that have been untouched by Christianity, a lot of those ideas that we love so much that is the air we breathe, even in a city like Seattle, they all come from Jesus. And so which of those things do you reject? Which of the things that Jesus brings into our world, freedom, kindness, progress, equality, compassion, science, enlightenment, loving your neighbor as yourself, which of these things do you crucify him for? Psalm, uh, read verse 39. After Jesus says, believe the works, some of them did this. Then they were trying again to seize him. But he eluded their grasp. Even when it's so obvious. So I think we think sometimes like, well, if I were there to see Jesus' miracles, the things he did, the things he was all about, well, then I, I wouldn't crucify him. I wouldn't reject him. There were people here speaking to him, realizing that they had been outwitted, that he was healing the blind, that saw clearly what was happening, that still tried to grasp him and eventually would nail him to a cross. So don't be so sure that what you need is just more evidence. I think what you need to ask is, why are you rejecting what he brings into the world? Now, I want to be fair. Real quick, I need to be fair. It is true that Jesus' sheep bring gnarly stuff into the world. Because Jesus' sheep smell, like all sheep do. And they do other stuff. That requires my prop. And they leave that everywhere. So, like, a lot of people reject Jesus because they've met some sheep. And they're like, I don't want to be like that. That's the wrong way to think about it. You need to think about Jesus and consider, is Jesus a mere human? Or has what he's brought into the world leading us on a trajectory that is what I truly want? And this passage I love so much because it seems like Jesus opens the door for us to start following him as the good shepherd only because we believe in the works he does even if we're still struggling to believe and answer the question, who is he? So I love, you, you might be here and you're like, I love this community that Jesus has built. I, I love the forgiveness that I feel in this place. The lack of shame and condemnation that I feel when I hang out with, with Sedaris Church. You might, you might love the peace that you feel when you just come into this house, the warmth, the acceptance that you feel here. I hope you feel all those things. I, 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 you might just love the, the works, the, the hope that you feel, that maybe there is more. I don't know what it is, but maybe there's more to this life. And Jesus says, welcome. 
If you, if you can't see the works and believe that God sent me, believe the works. Stay near to the works. Enjoy the works. Eat the food. And as you go, as you're acknowledging that these works are the works of God, that these are the things that if there is a God that, that He would do, as you go, you just might come to realize these things are only possible because Jesus is no mere man. But he is who he said he was. He is God in the flesh. And when you come to realize that, I'm so excited for you. If this is you, stay near. Believe the works. Enjoy the works. But there's coming a day when you'll realize those works are only possible. The blind only get their sight because Jesus was God in the flesh. And when you realize that, I'm just telling you, I'm just getting you excited. The joy the peace, the hope, the freedom that you've only felt in part will magnify in such a way that you cannot imagine, you cannot imagine how good your God is. It's coming. Believe the works and keep considering the worker. The Son of God, no mere man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.